Welcome to Cloudlandia. Welcome to Cloudlandia. Yes, and I'm looking out at our cottage splendor here. I like that. I, I'm, I'm sitting in my courtyard on my white couch. <clears throat> yes. Noticeably cooler than it has been. And we're Here's about to make some, I forget what the length of time now, but we may on August 29th here today, two more days, and we may get through the entire month of August with not one named tropical storm in hurricane season here. So that's an interesting, I don't know whether that's for or against the global warming theory. I don't know. But here it is. Everything's caused by global warming. That's what I wondered. That was my point. <clears throat> actually, actually, about... actually, human civilization, as we know it, was caused by global warming because mm. <clears throat> before 11,000 years ago, things were really cold, like they were frigid. <laughs> that's, my, I, that's what I just can't wrap my mind around that, Dan. Like, how in the world did the Earth raise its temperature without the assistance of humans and combustible engines back oh. then. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so well, funny. you know, where we live in Toronto was under uh, 11,000 years, 8,000 years ago, the, what is downtown Toronto was underwater, except for some of the biggest buildings. And the shoreline was actually Casa Loma, if you think of the yes. rise, and that's a rise that goes up right from the docks, you know, right from, from the uh, <clears throat> Queen's Key, which is the, uh-huh. you know, the road right along the lakeshore. Yeah. And if you think it's a constant climb, and then it's a big climb when you <clears throat> get to Davenport, then you're going really mm-hmm. uphill. And that was called Lake Iroquois. Okay. Yeah. And that, and there was a ice dam on the east of Lake Iroquois that all broke. You know, it got warm enough that it just collapsed, and then the water rushed out and probably, you know, really expanded and created the Gulf of St. Lawrence. You know, if you think of it going east, you know, from Kingston all the way to. Nova Scotia, you know, and there's some, excuse me, I just had breakfast. We got, we fiddled around till midnight last night. So, oh my goodness. We got up. We usually don't do that, but I find travel days are kind of disruptive. Excuse me. I'm just trying to avoid hiccups here. That's okay. So you were traveling yesterday to get up to your cottage. Are you there for two weeks now? No, we're just here till Friday. So we have Saturday oh, okay. to Friday. And then, okay. then the workshop, the workshop, the heavy workshop period starts. And for until I get day. rid of the hiccups, you're just going to have to carry the show. Okay, well that's fine. I, you know, I've had some. I've had a lot of reflection time this week and interesting conversations. Thinking about your thought. thinking. Thinking, thinking about, about your thinking. My thinking. That is absolutely right. I had an interesting experience. So I've been going to a particular coffee shop in the mornings. N plus one coffee here, which of course N plus one is a play on the the correct number of coffees to have is N plus one, N being the number you've already had today. So that's the optimal number is N plus one. So there's always room for more coffee, but they are, they're closing on the 1st of September. They just couldn't make it run. And since they opened up, there's been two more independent coffee shops open up within half a mile of them. and you know, all the supply chain things and they're not an actual roaster. So all just this whole host of reasons that that they're going to close. And well, part of it so, is the price of the uh, price of raw beans. Well, that too. And they're not. A, that's what she said is they're not a roaster. So they're kind of like held hostage for that. And then the cost of milk 
has gone up in the access to other things. They don't bake stuff. They have to buy things from the bakery. Yeah. So it's interesting that the, the whole thing, but in any event, I realized how, you know, it's, uh, I am a lot like you in my desire to grant people monopolies. And I like to have a monopoly, just like I feel, even though I haven't been up back up to Canada in three years, I still feel the void of table 10 at Jacques not being available for us when I come back. The selective selective open, as I mentioned last time, I've successfully overcome my hiccups. So perfect. um, I can be actually a conversation partner with you now. Perfect. Yeah, but I think that, you know, monopoly's got a bad word. You know, it's and it's like procrastination. You know, like everybody yeah. knocked procrast. That's what got us started on uh, our podcast journey. Yeah. And I think that procrastination is, I said, well, if everybody process, pro- pro- you know, procrastinates and everybody does it, I mean, I've never met anyone who doesn't procrastinate, even those who say they don't. I say, well, what about the people around you? Do you have team members that procrastinate? And they say, oh, yeah. And I say, is there one in particular that just kind of sets you off because they procrastinate so much? And they said, yeah. And I said, have you done anything about it? (laughs) And they say, well, no. And I say, well, you're procrastinating because you know there's going to be an endpoint to it. If uh-huh. they don't stop procrastinating, you're gonna, you, you know, you're going to part ways with that person. You, I mean, you've done it before, so why would you not do it again? And usually, when you do it, everybody in, on the rest of the team uh, says, "Oh, finally," because they're not just procrastinating with you; they're procrastinating with everybody. And <laughs> And, you know, and I said, you, you, you all do it. I said, you've got goals that you've been thinking about for three or four years, you know, and vision and capability and the reach. And, you know, you could take advantage of it, but you haven't done it yet. So I would call it, I think that falls into the area of procrastination. Yeah. So, but that's with, what I said is, I think it's wisdom. And your response to that was very immediately within a week or two of our podcast series, you immediately said, you know what it is, you're excited about the what, but the how discourages you. That's exactly right. But if you immediately, the moment that you come up with the how, you look for the person who's going to do it. It's the perfect answer. Yeah, I had a wonderful who not how, and that's been worth millions to us, Dean. That's great. <laughs> yes, I've had the you know the who I had a great who not how experience in the last couple of weeks here. One of the things you know with TikTok and YouTube and Instagram and you know all the social media, the reach opportunities that are really becoming about video now. That. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about, I've done a lot of, you know, more cheese, less whiskers podcasts, a lot of listing edge and lifestyle podcasts. All those are the main drivers of uh, things. And Joe and I have done, you know, 350 plus I Love Marketing podcasts. Yeah, and and it was your example that prompted me to, you know, and I talked to Joe about it and it was instant, you know, I mean, we instantly said we should have a podcast and, and Paul Culligan, who was the, you know, the coach for both of us. And he does the behind the scenes work to get the podcast out. And he just announced he's, it's very funny. We had just crossed 2 million independent downloads. And, and, you know, that's a big fact because about 1% of all podcasts ever get to that number. Oh, yeah. And you're way beyond that because you have probably twice as many as we do. But he just announced that we crossed the 2 million independent. That means mm-hmm. not passing on, but actually, right. you know, going on as independent entities, which is a the gold standard. It's really the gold standard in casting. 
And what he did was he recorded our very first, he took the recording of our very first podcast. So we're about 100 and, you know, 170 or 180 down the, <clears throat> down the path. And he turned it into an LP and created a whole LP cover for our first podcast. And, and now I'm procrastinating finding a record player. <laughs> you know, oh, that's cause, funny. Because it's, it's on vinyl. It's on yes, vinyl. Yes. And I say, where am I going to find a turntable for this? You know, that's funny. Uh, yeah. Wow. And uh, but it's beautiful. I mean, it's a beautiful LP. Yeah. Uh, you know, and a big thirty-three and a third. You know, thirty-third. Yeah, and yeah. A third mm -hmm. final, final record inside. Yeah, yeah. And then oh, no, I said, yeah. never, what a great, what a great song. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, and uh, and uh, but what was really interesting when Joe was away for the year, you know, he took his sabbatical. That number one podcast episode is still being downloaded. You know, in a three month period, it was downloaded several hundred times, mm. and that happened. Yeah, and I'm sure that people are just discovering. I love marketing for the first oh, yeah. time, and they want to do the whole thing. I mean, they're. Yeah, uh, I mean it's one thing to binge on, you know, <clears throat> on a, on you know streaming, you know, when you go back and you suddenly yeah. discover a series that happened four or five years ago, and you just, you know, you just, you know, you just binge, but you're talking about maybe, you know, fifteen hours, okay, yes. <laughs> but here you're talking. You're talking about more hours nonstop than is in several weeks with your yeah. podcast. Right. Yeah. So try binging 350 podcasts in a row. Right. Exactly. <clears throat> yeah. That's exactly true. That's, uh, yeah. It would take, you know, that's an interesting thing. If somebody listened to one, we're at the point where you could. There's probably to 50 one. books. There's probably 50 books if you, yeah. you, you know, if you chose to move in that direction or, you know, just create well, a we've little. Done one of the things we did up to the first 200 episodes, we would create little, not little, encyclopedic yearbooks for the first 50 episodes and then 51 to 100 and up to 200. We've got four yeah. volumes of the slightly edited, slightly condensed transcripts. So it was all yeah. the greatest hits of it kind of thing for every episode. And uh, yeah, it's quite an amazing like library to look at that big, you know, encyclopedic book. We did eight and a half by 11 and, you know, hundreds of pages for each of them. So big volumes. And one of them we sent into space for its launch. <laughs> so we had uh, our, uh, the cover of the book along with some, uh, some 3D printed action figures of Joe and I up into space and had the, you know, the film of it and stuff. It was one of those, we had a guy who sent things up into space with weather balloons. You know, you'd go up into the, out of the atmosphere kind of thing. And then yeah. it would come back down. But that was, you're right, like so much there. And that's what I was thinking about now going forward. And that's two people, you know, that's two mm -hmm. people. Yeah. I mean, we're just yeah. talking about two people, but just yeah. multiply that. Well, there's 2 billion right now. They crossed the 2 billion mark in podcast series. And, Is that right? uh, mm -hmm. and just think about the sheer amount of creativity and conversation and important ideas mm -hmm. that represent, I mean, some of them you know, never get out of the starting gate. You know, the, the number of podcasts of those two billion is, you know, if you average them out, they're probably in the dozens of average, if that much. You know, it's oh yeah, you know, some stat of most, so many podcasts never get past the fifth episode. Or yeah, yeah. But then you have the, you know, then you have the big series like Seth Godin and you have Joe yeah. Rogan and Tim yeah. Ferriss, you know, they've got, uh, you know, uh, each episode is in the tens of millions. Joe and I were looking for the audio of, well, we had Tim Ferriss, we've known Tim for a long time, and we had Tim as one of the first guests that we had on I Love Marketing. Yeah. This was before he had his podcast. 
and we were, yeah. you know, after and he, the podcast. If I understand Joe's account of it, he was very resistant to podcasts. He was. That was it. So we were, after we recorded the podcast, like put a wrap on the recording part of it, we stayed on. We talked for another maybe 30 or 40 minutes afterwards, trying to, like, get him to come around on the idea of a podcast. Because <laughs> he was big into the blog at that point, it was all about yeah. you know just blogging and writing. Yeah, he didn't see that he would, you know, what he how he would work that as a thing. So it's just kind of funny to see that that unfold. But as I was thinking about it going forward, that you know you see all the top ones now, like Joe Rogan, as you mentioned, all of these yeah. are video based podcasts and. The so I was thinking, okay, I'd like to do more video because you know I'd say I've, I've got so much stuff that I've said in all the more cheap all, all of these podcasts. There's so much like chunks that you have, but they're kind of more awkward to distribute just as audio. You know, you turn them into articles. I've done turned them into medium articles and things like that. But I had the idea that, okay, uh, what would it, I'd love to start doing more video like this. And I was thinking about turning one of the rooms in my office into a studio, uh, you know, type of thing. So I could just go and record whatever. But as I was having the thought, you know, I was thinking, I was looking at cameras and, you know, lighting and microphone, thinking, what am I going to need to build out on here? And I had this who not how moment where I started thinking this is exactly, this is friction for me trying to do this. What I really want is I want to walk in and sit down and start talking. And then I want to get up and leave. And that's all I want to do, right? The milk. That's the milk of this, right? The output. And I, you know, there was several, maybe five years ago, there was a building that was for sale close to my building. That was a, a big recording studio. It was a sound stage, like a pretty historic sound stage that's been in Florida for quite some years. There's been a lot of really, you know, mainstream stuff done in this studio. And it's, you know, full out, about, there's about 3,000 square feet of it is this, if you've ever been in a sound stage where it's all completely silent, optimized, like, you know, if you go into one, it's kind of amazing. So, but yeah, the, we, uh, uh, you know, we have one in the basement of our building, you know, that was, yes, the, exactly. You know, it was the number one post, uh, when it was created, it was the number yeah. one post production studio. So it right. had a floating, you know, it floated yes. and then it Floating was completely and all sealed. That. Yeah. And we had an earthquake. I mean, Toronto gets little yeah, uh, tremors, not California style, you know, tremors, but it was enough to knock the, in our, you know, in our yeah. lob, lobby between the two workshops, we have the lobby mm-hmm. and we have the whole wall of bookshelves with books on it. Yeah. And half the books fell off the, you know, fell off the. Wow. Uh, yeah, so it was enough. That, and upstairs, they de- definitely felt that, you know, things mm-hmm. things tremored. But down in the studio, we went through it, and there was no awareness whatsoever. I went up, and I said, what happened? You know, oh, they, my. they said, well, the earthquake, you know, and I said, news to me. Wow. So uh, somebody bought that studio five years ago. And they modernized it, put in a bunch of money. They've got one of those. They've got a 20 foot by 12 foot LED wall, like the big screen thing that you've seen everybody yeah. using. Yeah, yeah. Like it's a big thing. And then they've got a infinite white wall and all the different orientations you can have for that stuff. But they've also got a podcast studio like, that has you know four cameras and fully optimized sound dampening screen you know the best microphones and a kind of like the way gourd sits in your 
studio. Yep. They've got the room for the engineers and all that stuff. And so I went in and, you know, I'd met the guy who owns it. And I said, I went in and just popped in with Stuart because we were at the coffee shop talking about how, you know, I wanted to get this studio, but I, this is such friction trying to think about what to do. So I went and said, I wonder if we could just record there. And so I went in and spoke to Juan and asked him, like, you know, whether we can do that. And so he said, of course, you know, so that they, they offer this as a service now because they're a studio for hire kind of is mm-hmm. one of the one of the items that they do. So for $350 to go in for two hours and record and have a tech, you know, an engineer, somebody who's there to do all of the, they'll set everything up. They'll get all the levels and make sure everything is working. They've got a live switcher that switches between all the cameras. They can, and then they'll edit the video afterwards, adding in lower thirds and intro and outro music or whatever you want on the things, any graphics or whatever. And I thought to myself, okay, so we set up, that was on a Monday. I said, can we come in tomorrow and do that? So I booked, you know, two hours the next day. And I got, I did one with Stuart. We talked about 90 minute books and how to know when, if it makes sense to use a book to grow your business. And then I had friend Billy Bishop who owns Top Flight Electric here in Winter Haven, which he started five years ago. We laid out the blueprint for it and he's, you know, now a very a thriving electric business. So we did a more cheese, less whiskers episode with him. And it dawned on me afterwards. So for, yeah, I just signed a contract. I'm going to go in there every Tuesday morning and record for two hours. So I'll just fill it with guests or do stuff on my own. And, you know, I realized that for, you know, I could do 10 weeks, 10 of those for, let's call it, which is less than the cost of one of the cameras that they have. And no setup, no, no having to do anything before or after or maintain the technology or learn the technology or find somebody who can do the, the stuff. And so it's just such a, Real, you know, real benefit of this who, not how thinking, like just looking for the capability that you're looking for. I mean, that's the, the, you know, it's just a fundamentally exponential capability. Mm -hmm. Because I started, you know, my awareness of this, everything you just described at the ad agency where I, you know, was a writer for three years and you know, I don't have the exact figures here, but everything that you're saying that you're going to do uh, in 1971, that was over $100,000. It was over 100000 At a minimum, that was over $100,000. And, and then and, how would you ever distribute and, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, then you had to pay, you know, major dollars to distribute even... You know, 20 minutes of it was yeah. enormous, enormous amount of it. And, you know, and that in 19, you know, in 1971, 72, when I was the, was a writer, the number of individuals who would be involved in that entire process would be in the dozens. And you, that's yes. part of the price. That's part yes. of the price, you know. Yes. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's really interesting. The reason there's, so many factors that you could break out of what you just described that it would have been hundreds of hours of work on your part, you know, quite yes. apart from their part, uh, what they were doing. And that's all in one capability. All you have to do is show up. Yes. And that's so amazing, right? Like that, I've gotten it. I'm really getting to this mindset of unit economics is what I'm thinking of everything this way lately. Like I've got this new way of thinking about something and I'm thinking 
that if I look at it like that, you know, $350, $50 more for the editing time. So $400, let's call it for two hours of two episodes. And so I think that if you then take that raw material, that's to produce the actual episode, but then to get that, you know, converted to odd, just strip the audio, take the, get it transcribed, hire a writer to, to take out the, identify the tracks or the chunks or the, you know, the highlights of it to then divide the video into like the Joe Rogan, you know, bite size pieces, one distinct thought that you could distribute, you know, through all the different social media channels, turning those into emails, you have blog posts, medium articles, all of that, like filleting up the big, you know, side of beef kind of thing. If you take the whole cow and divide it up into all those things that I think that if you were to take, if you were to have a budget of maybe $400 per hour of recorded output, that yeah. you would have like a pretty amazing output, you know, like a, that would drive your entire content, you know, stuff. Cause that's asset of that is asset that you're creating, you know, especially if it's all evergreen ideas, you know? Yeah. And so that's kind of, yeah. that's an interesting thing that if you think about, if you've got those who's in place, that packaging those who's productizing, which is really what we're kind of, that's all, I'm doing this all under this umbrella of money-making marketing, that yeah. this, that being able to give somebody a sense that this is about the budget per hour of executing these things as a push button product where all you do is show up. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, and I think that the, there's some barriers to entry to this world. One is the biggest barrier is that you don't have any ideas. That's Mm, a big barrier. The second one is there's no reason for you to communicate these ideas. That's a barrier. Okay. (laughs) And yeah, and number three, you're not saying anything that's valuable to the audience. Right. You know, I think the, you know, the proper thing, you know, and Gord Vickman and I, Gord, for the listeners' sake, is our, <clears throat> my manager of my entire podcast operation. And we established that the, what makes our, podcast work, and I'm talking, that would include my podcast with you, is that what you're selling is a relationship. In other words, people choose to make listening to Welcome to Cloudlandia and, you know, the joy of procrastination before that. People build this in as part of their, uh, you know, of their continual learning, their continual Mm -hmm. thinking. And they're the ones who give you the monopoly. Yeah. Yeah. So going back to the monopoly, because I started this conversation by saying I, I <clears throat> procrastination is a bad thing, and I've got reason to question that and actually prove just the opposite, that procrastination is great skill. You're not following through on it. You're not following through on it to immediately surround yourself with who's who can actually supply the hows that get you to the exciting what that you're thinking about. So that mm-hmm. was a whole that was a whole two years of our partnership. Mm-hmm. And then we began and you're the one who triggered this. You said, you know, let's let's talk about this thing Cloudlandia. The, the Cloudlandia operates by totally different multiplier rules than you know, then who not how? Who not how? People kind of get it instantly, or mm-hmm. they don't. There, there's not a lot of convincing that you have to do to do it. And then, but this whole notion of the <clears throat> what you're talking about now 
and just using our podcast as an example, that it creates a monopoly. And podcasting works is because everybody has their own monopoly. The audience, the listening audience is the one that that gives you the monopoly because there's value creation. It's a value creation monopoly. Yes, I love that. And I mean, that's something that, you know, when you're, because along this, having a context like, like Welcome to Cloudlandia, where, you know, that fits in that umbrella of talking about everything that sits in that intersection between the mainland and Cloudlandia and the juxtaposition of what you can and can't do in each one. Like this mm-hmm. kind of thing, all this distribution stuff is really you, what you were describing in 1971, completely mainland or the, in mm-hmm. the 70s, all completely yeah. mainland and analog. Whereas now in 2022, it's completely, you know, digital. 50, 50 years. Yeah. Has made it completely digital. And uh, I was thinking, I was reading if we take even 50 years earlier than that to 1922, that I was reading a book about Albert Lasker, who was mm-hmm. one of the great advertising minds, mm-hmm. the guy that hired Claude Hopkins. And I remember reading in the book that he was talking about his, he had a wall of shelves that were every newspaper in the country that he subscribed to all the newspapers of all the major cities. So they were all brought to him by mail or however he would get them. And he had them all there. So you think about like access to knowledge, you know, he had this analog, you know, internet basically available to him. He had looking at all of these things, which allowed him to see in California, the budding, citrus business and what was going on there and then realizing then with now the ability to bring citrus to the midwest and the the rest of the country it's amazing how all those things it just you know the vision is what drives everything but it's just so much easier to execute on vision yeah now yeah well, the interesting interesting thing, I'm just completing the latest Peter Zion book. Uh, for those who are interested, he's just written it. He's, this is his fourth book, and they are riveting, I would say, reading what he says about the geopolitical situation. In other words, he said that we're going through one of the greatest fundamental transformations, and it's, you can interpret it as transformation or disruption. And he said that basically we've lived inside of a single deal. The whole world has lived within a single deal since the end of the Second World War. America was the only top country. It wasn't that it's not even it's not even accurate to say that the U.S. was one of the top countries. Right. There was one top country and nobody else was even in the picture and simply because the U.S. economy had gone through probably a 10 times jump during the Second World War. Just to give you an idea of producing things, the Americans supplied the Russians with 90,000 trucks during the Second World War and Jeeps, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. these were not machinery that the Soviet Union had. And they were, you know, they were friends in the sense that they were the enemy of our enemies, but they weren't really friends. They were part of the big picture. And then that sense of transforming everybody's capability continued after the Second World War. And we've lived in a world where essentially the U.S. provided all security so people didn't have to spend their money on defense. Mm -hmm. Actually, the best periods of Soviet history were the time between the end of the Second World War and when the Soviets finally their system, you know, <clears throat> based on all the wrong principles, collapsed in 1990, yeah, 1991, the Soviet Union disbanded. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, and all the defense for all the supply routes, all the trade routes, the entire oceans of the world were entirely protected by the U.S. and still is. And that's gone on. And the U.S. didn't do that for economic reasons. They did it because they just did not want to send millions of their young people across the ocean to Europe to fight a fight a war. You know. Okay. You know, and and so and now it's all changing since the Soviet Union collapsed. Little by little, the U.S. has started pulling out their military protection for the whole world. Wow. Actually, the two biggest places where they still have mil- large military contingents. The only place in the world right now is actually Japan and South Korea for reason nearby reasons <laughs> right <laughs> and uh, and they're uh, you know they're so they've really cut down on their military engagement and and so it's not going to be easy for other countries to supply trade routes you know because piracy is going to make a major two types of pirates actual pirates who do it for a living and countries who because they can't get what they need countries will become pirates and, you know, and that's going to a totally different kind of world. And so that's a major capability that the entire world has had. And, you know, since that started, I was born six weeks before that agreement was made in 1944. It was in first week of July in a place called Bretton Woods, a big uh-huh. luxury resort in New Hampshire. And that's the, that's been the single deal. That's run the world. The globalization, the global economy is all because of this deal. And the U.S. has mm-hmm. decided not to do it again anymore. And everything's coming back to the United States. Supply chains are coming back. Manufacturing's coming back, you know. And yeah, yeah and they're basically the U.S. is going to use its military to prevent any other power from coming into the Western hem- Hemisphere. So none of the Europeans or the Asian countries will be allowed to, you know, have any kind of, you know, you know, encroachment upon the Western mm-hmm. Hemisphere. And the U.S. is instead of going east and west, is now going to go north and south. Yes. And the South Americans, I have, you know, I've got a growing number of strategic coach clients who are from Central America and South America. And I said which to them, countries you know, I said, are leading, which countries are leading the way there? For Do you notice? In well, terms, I think is Colombia is the Brazil. Uh, Colombia, not Brazil, no, Colombia. Okay. And uh, Colombia is perfectly suited to actually uh-huh. have a, an entire new arrangement. Actually, they have a, you know, they have a significant specific yeah. one-on-one trade agreement with the United States because they have two advantages. They, the country actually is both on the Atlantic side and they're mm-hmm. also on the Pacific side. So they have ports yeah. on both sides of the country. Mm-hmm. So they can do the West Coast of the United States. They can do the Gulf Coast. They can do the Eastern Coast mm-hmm. through shipping. And uh, But I told them, I said, you know, the biggest that, you know, Central America and South America has had against the United States is that they don't pay any attention to us. And I said, yeah. <laughs> you may look at that as the good old days because now they're going to pay attention to you. Uh-huh, right. It's like Canadians, you know, can I, since I've been in Canada, the Canadians are always complaining, you know, Americans just don't pay any attention to us. And I said, that's your greatest defense. They don't pay any attention to you. I heard a comedian say something about that one time about our friendly neighbors to the north. He was referring to Canada. He goes, yeah, we yeah. get along fine and everything, but one day it's going to be, hey, Canada, we're out of wood. Get out. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, uh, we're out of we're out of potash. You know? Yeah, we're, exactly. Yeah, we have new needs for your crude oil. You know? have, exactly. You got nickel. You know, you got some really good stuff up there so that, funny. that we're, we're going to be wood. needing. And I think a lot of the internal tensions in Canada right now. Uh, yeah. It's sort of in a state of stagnation. I've noticed that the country probably in mm. the last 10 years has sort of been stagnating. I mean, lots of people are still coming, so immigration is good. Lots of money is pouring into Canada and everything else. 
but they haven't come directly into the crosshairs of the United States. And, and that will change. That will change yeah. over the next decade or so. And mm-hmm. the, the Albertans, the Albertans are, their big complaint is that they would love to do amazing amounts of trade with the United States, but it's being prevented from the, you know, from Ottawa. It's being prevented yes. because, you know, uh, Alberta is the province that has the most ancestors who actually came from America, from the United States. You know, and so they, uh, they're, you know, it's really interesting because it just brings everything to a halt. And so I think there's going to just be major breakdowns and breakthroughs over the next half century. Yes. Yeah. But this goes back to that uh, the one bypass for all this is digital. Yes, that's the greatest. Like, that's what I'm super excited about. You know, yeah, I don't need like, I don't need the U.S. Navy protecting my overseas podcasting. Right, <laughs> right. That's the best part, right? Well, the, the, the un, yeah, the pipeline. That's cheese. That's yeah, cheese. That's the truth. Yeah, there's just a lot I'm of whiskers. Having, um, yeah, the, the beer, the world is going unshaven. <laughs> I'm doing a, I'm doing lots a of whiskers, lots of whiskers. <laughs> now. <laughs> I'm doing a podcast this week with the owner of the studio because you know he's, I, they're struggling a little bit now because of you know they were really. They opened up. They spent time doing all the renovations and everything, and they opened up in November of 2019 was the grand, you know, opening kind of thing. And then within four months, they were shut down basically because of COVID and stuff. And it was a, you know, it's been an uphill kind of, you know, getting things back on track there. But I think that it comes down to, you know, their concentrating on being a a capability factory where they're not involved in the participating in the output of the mm-hmm. factory kind of thing as opposed yeah. to like being farm thing that is be you know a participant in the outcome and that's, yeah. I, so I'm going to have that kind of conversation with him because that, you know, they've got excess capacity for certain. Like if you think about that podcast studio on its own, in theory, they could be, you know, if you just go regular, you know, working hours, they could have eight or 10 hours of productivity coming out of that. That's the capacity for that per podcast hour, studio. Per with hour. One, yeah. Per yeah, that's what I mean. One eight or ten hours of the machine running, kind of thing. They could be pumping out that level of content. So let's call it that they've got you know a forty or fifty hour capacity for that podcast studio, you know, yeah. of output per week, and. Yeah. If they're, you know, right now after me, like I'm in for two of those hours, you know, ahead of the time. I don't know who else. Otherwise, it's sitting dormant. You know? Dormant, if, yeah. If, yeah, it's sitting there as excess capacity. And I really see that. Like, you know, it started a, a couple of years ago, this idea of excess capacity as an asset that that most people don't realize that they have and the actual like you know a lot of that is sunk cost already and overhead where they've already they already have the equipment they already have the facility they already have have the, the team they've got the team but you know you could argue that's an incremental cost because they only they bring in the engineer you know on a contract basis because yeah. Yeah. they don't have an uh, as an employee a person there but you think about their if it costs me 350 or 400 dollars they're charging on that 
that they're making a profit on that, certainly, right? Like that, their pricing is based on, you know, figuring out what percentage goes towards the overhead and what percentage is the things. But the actual incremental cost, the really directly associated cost of deploying excess capacity would be just that engineer if you don't have that capability or whatever, right? It would really just be that person because it's not like you need to buy film or <laughs> to, you know, anything like that. That's um, no raw materials that go into it. It's all digital. Mm-hmm. So the cost of capturing it is, you know, built into the capability. You've got the machine, you've got the computers, you've got the cameras, you've got the Mike, you've got all of that. So let's call it $100 an hour if we're being super you know, conservative on what it would cost or generous on yeah. what it would cost an hour. Should, could be, that's what I'll explore through in the podcast, is what, where could you invest that $100 to create an outcome. Like, you know, not thinking about real, yeah, see, to realize see. that I'm investing that $400 or that three, yeah, $400 for two hours. So he's getting $200 for me. But what I'm looking is that, that I'm going to turn that $200 into content that's going to drive thousands of dollars. Well, the, the big the big thing that I would add to his component, and it's it's an upcoming book, one of my quarterly books. It's called Technology Dash Teamwork. Okay, so there's three okay. words, and the dash in the middle is coaching. Okay, that yeah. he should first of all, he's being react. He, in a certain sense, he's being reactive. Mm-hmm. In other words, that if you hadn't decided to go and check it out, he never would know you. Okay. Right. That's exactly. So right. he's waiting for people to find out about him, and and you know, and you know, and then come in, and he's taking it for granted that they know what they're going to do with it. They're no good. They're yes. Not the content. I'm not talking about the content. Right. I'm talking. I'm talking about the the VCR. Do they have yeah. a vision? Or where they could go yeah. that requires coaching yeah. do they even identify it as a capability that's coaching and reach that's coaching you know and so my sense well you know my my feeling is that you know it in, in information technology is the fastest growing industry in the world okay the number two industry taking everything that falls under this definition is coaching Okay, and the reason is technology doesn't coach itself. Yes. And the other thing is teamwork, people who are teams don't understand how they can multiply themselves through technology. And I think a lot of people, you know, who are listening to this podcast are saying to themselves, they'll do all of that for, you know, because they were thinking, well, how do I do this? And how do I, you know, how do I get the recording done? And how do I, you know, yeah. uh, don't. You don't. The right. secret to getting it done is not to know how to do it. The secret is knowing to go. You know, knowing how to link up each step with you know with the who's who can yes. who do this as a matter of course, hour after hour. Yes. Yes, and that's so right. So I think you you hit it on the head that most of the business income is passive. Meaning somebody's walking in or calling in saying, hey, can I do something here? You know, as opposed to seeking out the the right person that this capability would be valuable to and being a participant in the outcome that capability could create. Yeah. It's kind of, it's a really, it's a really interesting thing. So this is, I've been kind of having this conversation with Richard Miller, who uh, Richard Miller in Phoenix owns a studio called Mission Control Studios. Yeah, and he, I met him because he was doing all the AV for Viral for Only when we were doing all the big 
seminars. He was doing all the audio there. So I've really gotten to know him. He's you know, a really good friend. And so he's got a great studio in Phoenix there, again, with all these capabilities, but he's doing what he gets kind of thick. You know, people come in and they want, they're shopping it as a commodity in a way, right? Yeah. Like they're looking at the, as a factory, just an output thing. Yeah. And you know, the real opportunity is to add some, you know, some vision to it, you know? So I'm interested in that because it's one of those things that recording video, uh, you know, in person is a mainland experience and that it's a little different than recording just digitally in the cloud, like through Zoom or something. There's a different layer of Yeah, I think, you know what I think is the flaw between reactive and proactive is Mm -hmm. that you've mastered, you've mastered a capability that gets you in the game. Uh, and but you think that then you stop learning because you think the game is going to play itself. Yeah. Yeah, you think that the capability itself is if you build it, they will come, kind of thing. I think that's really and so the funny thing is, Dan. In most cases, it's somewhat true, right? It's yeah. a little bit. It's a little bit true. Uh, because there's so many businesses that are that way right now that, you know, you open up a restaurant on a intersection. Coffee shop. Somewhere. Yeah, coffee shop. You open up those things. And some people will stumble and discover it and then come back again and again. But if you're not doing something to proactively. Yeah. Like it broke my heart to see though to when she told me there, like they literally told me, you know, two weeks ago that, hey, we're closing up on uh, September 1st. And I've been sitting there that whole time. Like if I had known that they needed some marketing help, (laughs) we could have started. This could have started a long time ago. Yes, absolutely. And uh, yeah, so there you go. Yeah, it's a, it's an it's an amazing you know and what I you know and I think that the taking us back to last week's podcast the thinking about your thinking okay if you're thinking about things recording studio and you're thinking about people who need our recording studio and you're thinking about thoughts well all we have to do is be highly skilled and produce a good product that's a thought. But there's no thinking beyond that, you know, that the world is changing and, you know, and, you know, if there isn't some, you know, very persuasive message that we're putting out to more and more people that the capability that you need to jump to your next breakthrough, we have that capability and we'll help you think it through why this is such a great capability, you know, and everything. And that's where the coaching is missing. You know, the, they're just not coaching people. They're taking for granted that everybody knows that what we do is really extraordinary and that you can do extraordinary things with this. Mm-hmm. And, but you need a big vision to really take advantage of a capability like this because once you have our product in hand that we create with you, then you have an amazing reach. You can... Yes. You can Yes. I just think, man, that this kind of thing, I can't wait for that book. To, that's two or three that you've mentioned now that I, I'm anticipating coming out here. Yeah, well, the big thing about it is I say, I think every business in the world, if it's successful, has these three components in their uh-huh. offering to the public, their offering technology. Yeah. You know, if you don't have a technological component to your offering, you know, you're a century behind, okay? And and if you don't have teamwork to take advantage of the technology to really multiply, you've multiplied yourself with technology, but you're not multiplying. I mean, you've multiplied, 
you personally have multiplied yourself through technology and uh, and you've been able to create a great team around you, but you haven't connected the teamwork with the technology because that requires coaching. Yeah, that's really something. I was thinking this week, I've been really reflecting on your idea of shortcuts, programs, yeah. and platforms. Yeah. And, you know, I was thinking about the, I don't know whether it's uh, you're part of the platform or part of a separate thing, but of actually productizing that at the outcome. You know, yeah. you take, like, I look at the things like, uh, let's take one of the realtor things that we have. I've got, you know, one of my shortcuts is knowing how to get listings without making any phone calls or outbound phone calls. You know, if your phone only accepts incoming calls. So create that into a program called Getting Listings, which is part of this platform called the Listing Agent Lifestyle. That's it's over one, one of the elements of that. But there's a uh, there's an opportunity within that to be the who for somebody on that, where you don't even have yeah. to know how to do it. Is it the how bypass, right? Like if it seems to me like if there's anything that you can show somebody how to do, if that's what really a program is in a way, right? Is the, here's how to do this this shortcut or how to get this shortcut for yourself. That there's almost always. I don't know. I'm, I'm looking to see whether it's true. The who bypass where you could just push the who button and yeah. get the outcome. And I don't know what where that fits in that shortcuts. Well, the big thing is that people knowing it or not knowing it as they deal with different kinds of clientele and they're in touch with what the clientele really wants, there's constant new uh, possibilities for you creating additional uh, creating additional value for the client. Okay. Mm-hmm. But you never are really interested in what's going on in the clientele's life if you're just selling the commodity, you know. How is yeah. this, you know, how is my client or customer actually using what what I'm providing? And the other thing is what new things are coming into their life where additional solutions are required. Okay. Yeah. And then we create little one-off solutions for this particular client. But in doing so, we've actually created a new shortcut. Okay. That can be translated into intellectual property. Okay, and that adds to the value of your company, and so we're doing the. We now have a full-fledged, you know, collaboration with Keegan Caldwell, who's, uh, you know, the he's the IP lawyer who's in Free Zone, and he just talked about it for two days. I think you know you you were in on Zoom for those two days, and thirty-five people in the two-day period. You know, we probably had. We probably had about 60, 60 different people over the two days, including the free zoners who were there on both days. And 35 people just phoned him and say, I want to talk to you about how I can start doing this. So that's okay. And, you know, that's just offering a new capability. And, you know, I mean, if they sign up with him and they spend money, it's his money. I don't really care. And the, re- the reason being, I just acquired a new capability by having him as a go-to. Dean, I've just lost you. Am I back? Yeah, yeah, I just lost you. Okay, there we go. I was saying it's these interwoven collaborations, you know, these capability collaborations that really, it it takes the vision to, to set those together but the you know the output outcome is so much greater it's such yeah, these and, are exciting and, times i mean well and just to talk about the impact of just having keegan talk through that i have eight people who were in 10 times but not in free zone come to me and say i think it's ready i'm ready for free zone because 
if we can work with Keegan, then I know where the free zone is. So we're immediately mm-hmm. rewarded. We're immediately rewarded for it. You know, mm-hmm. the, you know, people are jumping. And so my feeling is that there's, I won't say there's an infinite amount of these, but there's always more than you're taking advantage of. Yes, I agree 100%. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah, boy, that was a, that was one of the fastest hours on record. I think <laughs> I was setting new land speed record. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think it was, we were actually off the ground there. And yeah, anyway, I'll be back in Toronto next Sunday. So I'll look forward to talking to you. Me too. Thanks, Dan. Say hi to Bob's phone. Okay, bye.